Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Hey, well, good morning and welcome again. What we're going to do is continue on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And what we're doing is looking at this New Testament letter by Paul to the church in Galatia. And there in chapter 5, Paul is calling the church to live as a community in a new life, a life that resists the desires of the flesh and lives into the life of the Spirit. And what he does is gives us insight, insight into what we all experience in our inner being, this conflict between two natures, a battle, as it were, between two desires that oppose one another. This is what Paul says in verse 17 of chapter 5. He says, these two forces are constantly fighting with one another. They are the works of the flesh, which are described as chaotic and violent. They are self-serving in nature, but also self-defeating. They're destructive in nature. And then on the other end is the fruit of the Spirit. And these are spiritual qualities that are produced by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the Christian. Now, these fruits of the Spirit are different than striving for or manufacturing outcomes that we just kind of operate in or desire. They're also different than the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned uh, in Scripture as well. These gifts that are freely given by the Spirit, that are expanding the kingdom of God, that are glorifying King Jesus, and that are edifying or edifying the bearer of that gift. And when we bring those gifts together, then the body grows up in love. The fruit of the Spirit is different because the fruit of the Spirit cannot be manufactured. The fruit of the Spirit is given in full to every Christian. It is the outcome of where the Holy Spirit resides. It's based on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Well, to understand the fruit of the Spirit, you have to understand how the Holy Spirit works. See, spiritual growth, as I said earlier, uh, a bit redundant, can't be manipulated, can't be manufactured. Spiritual growth is gradual, and the fruit of the Spirit is inevitable. This is hard for us because when we look at that conflict that we all experience, and we look at the, the, the characteristics of the flesh, the characteristics of the Spirit, we would say we are really high on some and low on others. And those desires, those sinful desires that lead us outside of, of God's good will for our lives can seem so substantial. And the growth of the Spirit in our lives can see, seem so marginal. You might say, man, I've got joy off the charts, but when it comes to faithfulness or gentleness, then I'm pretty low on those categories. It makes me think about this story of a man who died, and he was buried under a, a giant marble slab. And somehow an acorn had got into his grave. And over time, gradually and unnoticed, the acorn grew. And it grew, eventually splitting open the marble. Such was the nature of its power. And if you were to look at those two things, the seed or the slab, and you would say, which one has most potential for power? Which one is the most solid? We would probably bet on the marble if we didn't understand how things grow and the nature of growth. Instead, the money should be put on the acorn. It should be put on the seed. And such is the way of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. Any Christian in the life of a Christian, the Spirit will grow 
and the fruit of the Spirit will burst forth. It's inevitable. Now, one more aspect that I want to just draw upon in this conflict between the flesh and the Spirit is, is this. When Paul is drawing this picture, it's undeniable, it's unmistakable that he shows violence as a major characteristic of the flesh. And in this conflict, greater violence is not met by this violence. Rather, love, joy, and peace. This is kind of like the first three or a triad of the fruits of the Spirit, this kind of like Godward uh, force within the life of, of the Christian. Jesus, in, in his upper room discourse, when he was, he was giving his final discourse with his disciples, he says this, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. So abide in my love that you may know my joy. See, I have come, Jesus says, to bring peace here on earth. I've come to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, the relationship with your creator and the creation itself. This is why I've come. But knowing the active conflict of the world, Jesus says, remain in my love. Abide in my love, knowing there's a tendency to drift. And when we abide in his love, we experience his joy. This reminds me of what uh, Dave uh, taught about on, on love, which, by the way, I, I give it up to my man, Dave, because like preaching on love, like your source text is the entirety of Scripture. The experiences, the entire history of the church, and he did a phenomenal job. So gold star to you when we finally can meet in person. But he said this, the fruit of the spirit of one's life is not born out of moralism, but out of a very real encounter with the living God. The very center of the Christian life is love. And we're reminded that love is more vital than any spiritual gift. And the expression of love is seen in Jesus laying down his life for us. Elsewhere in scripture, Romans 5, Paul says, we rejoice because we have peace with God. The response of coming under the love of God is joy because we're at peace with God. So we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. This is the hope that is before us. In Romans chapter 15, Paul says, I pray that God, who is the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. It is then that you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, when you come under the love of God, peace and joy will manifest in your life. It is said that peace and joy, and if you do a study in scripture, you see them together. They are sort of spiritual twin. To have peace with God is, is the greatest cause for joy. So the source of joy is God. God is the source of all joy. Uh, the word joy means a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. As with the things of God, there are a plethora of counterfeits. And the counterfeit to joy is elation that's based on blessings and not the blesser. And because they're based on blessings and not the blesser, uh, they change depending on circumstances, causing mood swings and causing anxiety. So when we talk about joy and I talk about how joy is a product of the presence of the Spirit, I think the rub that a lot of Christians have when it comes to these characteristics of this spirit in our life is that it's easier to trade for other things. The temptation for us is to trade our joy, which is rooted in God, for happiness. 
We can choose a, a happiness that is rooted in the desires of, of our flesh, right? And so happiness can be described simply as getting what you want. It's really hard to diligently follow the way of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's really hard to struggle with these things. It's really hard to endure the conflict between the flesh and the spirit when you see people who do not follow the way that are seemingly happy. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping. I had almost gone, for I envied the proud. When I saw them prosper and delight in their wickedness, they seemed to live such painless lives. Their bodies are so healthy and strong. So what do they do? Later in Psalm 73, they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongues strut throughout the earth. The temptation to trade our joy for happiness apart from God. When Paul was mentoring and discipling Timothy, he said, you need to know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be difficult days, difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful. They will be proudful or proud. They will scoff at God. They'll be disobedient to their parents. Amen. They will be ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and they will hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride and they will love pleasure more than they love God. Sure, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. They will love pleasure over God. Happiness is rooted in two things, satisfaction and gratification. I would say that, that happiness uh, is, is a cultural idol for uh, America, and we definitely see it in our city of Chicago. Happiness aims to be satisfied, aims to be gratified in the moment. But what happiness lacks and what the Spirit provides in abundance is fulfillment, because happiness is fragile. It can be shattered. It can be taken away. And we are experiencing that seasonally as we can't do the things we've wanted to do because we're forced to do the things we don't want to do. One uh, example of this, we, a couple of years ago, we bought a house. And I remember when you buy a house, you get consumed and obsessed with the whole process and where to buy and, and who you're going to go for a lender and all these different things. And, and one Chicago-based uh, company had, uh, we sell blank. We sell adventure, we sell comfort, we sell joy. And even then I was thinking, that's a little arrogant. How can you sell something that you can take away? See, Christian joy is not fragile. Christian joy is substantial. It cannot be taken away, it cannot be shattered. It's very different than worldly happiness because it's a product of the Holy Spirit. Joy fulfills, joy endures. Joy sees the beauty of God in word and world. And joy comes with that twin, which is peace. Peace means a confidence and a rest in the wisdom and the control of God rather than our own. Peace replaces anxiety and worry. So this is a natural question that I ask. I'm not after manufacturing things. I'm not after a work-based uh, uh, faith. But what I want to just pursue to you is, is the, the realm of cultivation. 
So the question I ask is, how can I grow in joy? How can I cultivate joy? C.S. Lewis said, good things as well as bad, you know, are caught by a kind of infection. If you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to get wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get closer to or even into the thing that has them. They are not sort of a prize which God could, if he chose, to hand out to anyone. They are a great fountain of energy and beauty spurting up at the very center of reality. If you are close to it, the spray will wet you. If you are not, you will remain dry. So when you get closer to God, you get closer to joy. It's kind of the atmosphere of God's presence. is joy and peace and justice. Psalm 16 says, in your presence, there's the fullness of joy. Makes you think about, again, what Jesus said. It says, my peace I give to you. Remain in my love that you may know my joy. I'm thinking about this conflict, and I want to be very, very helpful and be reminded that we are called to live out that which we proclaim, to resist the flesh and to live into the Spirit. In nature of the Holy Spirit, what Paul is doing for us is he's providing two images that we have the dynamic of the Spirit. The first one is being led by the Holy Spirit, and this is passive in nature. It's like the picture of the farmer leading the cattle or the wind leading the ship or even Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit will put this gentle pressure on us to walk in the ways in which we are called, to resist the desires of the flesh. That's why we are given the Holy Spirit. For without the presence of God, we could not walk according to the way of God. So the passive nature of the Spirit is this gentle pressure that's put upon us to live into the new reality, the resurrection life. The second, as he says, is walk in the Spirit, or as verse 25 says, live in the Spirit. And this is active in nature. Life in the Spirit is not simply passive submission to the Spirit. We must walk actively, purposefully in the right direction. Fostering the good ways. One author has said, a diligent use of the means of grace. I want to be very like honest with you. I think that our joy gets robbed because our vision is forfeited. Because we forget what we have. We forget who we are. We forget the power that is within us. We lose sight for the vision of our lives because we take our eyes from heaven and keep it just on earth. Now, don't get me wrong. The faith that we carry is an embodied faith. The kingdom has come on earth. We are part of ushering it in. But I was thinking about how we can lament the lack of maybe God's felt presence in our lives that we can forget that we've come underneath the love of God. We can forget that we have been called children of God. We can forget that we have confessed of our sins and received forgiveness, which causes great joy. That the fulfillment of joy is the very presence of God. This diligent use of the means of grace is like that acorn that gradually grows. It's like the attention to the presence of the Father when no one is looking. 
It's like being faithful to, to feast on the word. It's like not neglecting gathering in spirit in this season or intent with the fellowship of believers rather than just going it our own way. Those things aren't appealing. They don't look as polished as that marble slab, but great is the outworking of power when we give ourselves to the way of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, and I'll close here. I'll close here. It says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Stay the course. Keep the faith. Remember that the hard things produce meaningful things. Don't give in. Trust in the Lord and the very goodness of God. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.